0: Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 in the zone. Welcome in on a Monday morning. We've been gone for four days. We have much to talk about. Uh, obviously, the story of the weekend isn't the kind of story that can really drive sports talk radio. I don't, there isn't much to say. I think we're all kind of feeling similar emotions here. But Ty Jordan, waking up to that Saturday morning, what a horrible story. Still a teenager and uh, just dies on Christmas night in an accidental shooting. A horrific story. A guy, we didn't even know who he was before the first game. I mean, he's just a a name on a list of recruits. And he's uh, one of four guys battling for the running back job, and they can't really separate themselves, and so you put him into games and let him figure it out, and you know, game one, watching the game, you're like, wow, look at that kid. He looks good. And Kyle winning him after the game, uh, he needs to get more touches. And week two, he gets more touches. And week three, he's a starter. And week five, he's a star. And by week five, um, you know, I'm saying stuff like he's going to the NFL and he's leaving school early. It's obvious. It's completely obvious. And furthermore, nobody even yells at me. No Utes are worried about jinxing him. No Cougars are, oh, you love the Utes and they're so overrated. I mean, everybody could see it. I wasn't saying anything that was uh, that, that deep or that insightful. Everybody could see it. This kid is unbelievable. And uh, play the last game, and then, wow, this news on uh, the morning after Christmas. Horrific. Devastating. I mean, (laughs) Uh, you know, if you're as old as PK and I, um, it's not the first time you've been through this, and and you've seen people die way too young. You've seen kids and uh, young adults die, and it's just awful. And it doesn't get any better when you see it the second or third time. It doesn't make it easier to handle. It doesn't make it easier to adjust or rationalize. It's just, it's just so sad. It's just, just awful. And and the thing is, that we don't know them now. I don't. I don't really know college athletes. Um, there are no one-on-one interviews the way there used to be. I'm no longer a twenty or thirty-something interviewing a college athlete where I'm at least you know half a generation away. I mean. I got a kid who's graduated from college now, so I could be the parents of any one of these players. Even the 26 year old double redshirt return missionary, Britton Covey, with a bonus year because of the pandemic. You know, so it's not like we know them, but in this Zoom era, we don't even really get to talk to them and get a sense of them. You know, when you when you do a 10 minute interview after practice, standing there with somebody off to the side, you can kind of get a sense of a person. And P.K. and I have told you stories about players we've talked to and you don't really get that doing Zoom interviews. And maybe you get called on to ask one question and maybe you don't. You know, you can't say you know them. But man, the stuff you saw on social media and the stuff you saw in the statements issued by uh, Kyle Whittingham just gut-wrenching, you know, because they do know him. And he is a, he is a friend, and he is a brother. Um, you know, he is probably a roommate for some of these guys until they were probably split up for the pandemic and the COVID testing and all that, and guys going to hotel rooms and all that. And uh, you could just see it. You could just and, and, you know, I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know. If you're on Twitter, I know not all of you are. Uh, but if you are on social media, you saw it. You could You could feel it in the voices of those players as they posted stuff. Uh, you know, just awful. Just, uh, it's not the only thing that happened in the four days we were gone, but boy, it's the worst thing. You know, in a year where you assumed, and we all assume that as we do these year-end lists, the PKNL I will probably do on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, you know, the pandemic was going to be the worst sports story of the year. And now we got two stories that in any year could be hands down the worst story of the year. And just a horrific story. You know, there's very few things that can happen with the Utes that can make the Cougars, you know, drop all the pretense and all the rivalry and, uh, you know, treat the Utes like people. (laughs) That's not how rivalries work, right? The Utes and Cougars are there to make fun of each other. But, man, not this weekend. And they didn't. I got to say, I did not see Cougars behaving badly. I saw Cougars behaving well. It's It's just a horrific story. Horrific. Um, You know, the only thing that came out of it that really kind of surprised me was on Sunday, and I don't know who it was in the media that retweeted it, but somebody following the media tweeted something from one of Ty's family members, and um, the family member quoted the grandmother, um, I don't know if it was um, a cousin or an aunt or whoever was on social media, whoever it was. but she quoted the grandmother saying that it was they were basically thanking the jazz for the moment of silence and the recognition they did, and and the grandmother said, "Wow, man, he must have been like a celebrity out there, you know?" It's like, you know, and he plays high school football in Mesquite, Texas, which is a suburb east of Dallas. Um, the shooting happened in Denton, Texas, which is a suburb north. I mean, about 45, 50 minutes apart. It's the Metroplex is just sprawling and spread out unlike anything in this part of the country. Um, you know, so the, the family didn't really have a sense of how quickly he became very popular here. Um, they know how important college football is there, but they have no way of knowing, you know, what the college, how important it is here. So there's that story. I don't know how you make the smooth transition anything else that happened this weekend. There were. I'm going to spend the whole next segment on the NFL. The NFL playoff race with a week to go and some of the crazy games and the Steelers come back and, and the Packers looking awesome and Kansas City winning. Nothing more than winning, just just, just winning. We'll get to that uh, coming up. Um, some of the other stuff they have this weekend, we're not really into college basketball. If you're into college basketball, New Year's Eve is your night. BYU is at Pepperdine. Utah is at UCLA. Utah State's at Air Force. I mean, New Year's Eve, it'll be going. Now, we've had some games, and who knows, you know? some of these games can end up getting canceled. Weber State's already canceled their game. Uh, they were supposed to play home-and-home home with Idaho State, and the Bengals have an outbreak, so those two games are off the books. They're not going to be rescheduled either. They're just canceled. Um, but I do watch a little college basketball this weekend. There's, there's two things to watch. One, Kentucky just keeps unraveling. Um, they lost to Louisville. They're 1-6 now, and Calipari's pulling out his hair. And uh, and every time they lose, there's another stat on Twitter like this is Kentucky's worst start since 1927. You know, it's that kind of stuff. And that is seriously, they're not. It's like this is like the worst thing in 90 years. They're not up to the worst thing in a hundred years yet, but they're up to the worst thing in 90 years. It's horrific. And as bad as Kentucky is, Gonzaga is that good. Oh my gosh, BYU fans! I know you've pulled a lot of upsets on Gonzaga over the years. You've never beat them to win the regular season title, or, well, or the tournament title for that matter either. Um, but I don't know how you're going to beat them this year. And maybe you will. And then maybe it'll be awesome. It was awesome last year when BYU pulled it off. And they did it, you know, back, going back to the Dave Rose era, and they beat them multiple times. Right? Well, they beat them last year. They can't beat them this year. And they turned around and did it again. So maybe they'll do it again this year. But boy, you watch Gonzaga play now, and I don't see how. And I know it's way early, and this is only seven games. Gonzaga's 7-0, and and they've beaten four ranked teams. And Virginia's ranked 16th, and they... Annihilated Virginia, throttled Virginia, blew Virginia out. Whatever word you want to use, they all fit. It was a dominant performance. Just, uh, just crushed them. You know, and this is this is a fourth-ranked team they've done this to. They are just just annihilating teams. Gonzaga looks very good. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time talking college basketball yet, but I think we're going to have Steve Cleveland on later today, and uh, he will tell you. <laughs> that Gonzaga team. I, I just don't see how BYU's going to do it. I, we'll ask him when he comes on, but Gonzaga looks that good. They look that good. Uh, did not watch much college football this weekend. I did watch a little bit, and obviously Coastal Carolina, the team that ruined BYU's perfect season, just had their perfect season ruined by Liberty. And in that lead-up to the Coastal Carolina guy, we had the radio guy on, and, and Liberty was the team they were supposed to play and couldn't, so they scheduled BYU midweek and played that game on short notice. That is a big deal because those two teams used to play in the championship subdivision, and they had a pretty good rivalry then, and they were going to meet in the bowl subdivision. Now they literally meet in a bowl game. And Liberty completely mucked up the end of that game and didn't win it when it looked like they had a chance to score at the end. And then they settled for a field goal in overtime. you're thinking, oh boy, they give up the touchdown here, and Coastal Carolina's going to have the perfect season. Instead, they hold, and Coastal Carolina kicks a field goal, and Liberty blocks it. They block it. And that is how Coastal Carolina's perfect season ends. Yikes. But what a year for the Sun Belt. I mean, what an incredible year. You know, they have the three teams win in Big 12 stadiums. Uh, they beat Iowa State, who uh, played in the title game. I mean, it was just that was a great year for the Sun Belt. I always thought of the Sun Belt and the MAC as the worst conferences. You know, they're the worst group of five conferences. Conference USA kind of in the middle. And... uh you know, the Mountain West used to be the best one when it was the BCS, and there were six six big leagues. But now they're down to five power leagues. Uh, the American Conference has emerged as a little better in the Mountain West. But they're the top two. I always thought the others were the bottom two. But, man, look out for the Sun Belt. Those are some good wins. Careful about playing Sun Belt teams and money games in your stadium. Careful. And then uh, one baseball note, the Padres trading. Trading for Blake Snell. Are you kidding me? The Padres? Uh, They sent three prospects to Tampa Bay for a guy who's got a Cy Young Award. Awesome. Spectacular. Now, that was 2018, and it hadn't been the same the last two years. I mean, you can't really sustain a 1.89 ERA. That's a little more than anyone has any right to hope for. I think his ERA, over the last two years, he's thrown like 150 or 160 innings in the two seasons combined. But uh, and his ERA's been about 3.95. But when we last saw him, he was controversially getting pulled from the uh, World Series when he was shutting the Dodgers down but was up at the point where he usually gets beat. So they, they took him out before anything bad happened, and they took him out, and then bad things happened, and the Dodgers won the series. But for the Padres, who've, who've got a good team and got some pitching, now you got a guy who seems like a real big gamer for the postseason. And I, you know, I don't know, I don't know how good he'll be in the regular season. But it seems like when the adrenaline gets pumping in the postseason, it's a different deal. Uh, he wasn't unbeatable. He got beat in the playoffs, but uh, he had more good outings than bad. So take it and roll with it. Even though they gave up a bunch of prospects. All right, DJ and PK, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, as promised, uh, the NFL will sort all of that out. And then after that, we'll have the best of the Jazz post-game show. Stay with us.
1: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go! Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.
0: Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. All right, let's spend a few minutes on the NFL, the playoff picture. Not quite set. Coming into focus. Starting to get a clue what's going to happen here. What can happen. What can't happen. What still needs to happen. Uh, the Chiefs. Man, what is wrong with the Chiefs? Has anyone ever had more doubt about a fourteen and one defending Super Bowl champion? I mean, two years ago they nearly won the thing, right? They had the the Patriots in overtime, and then last year they win it, and now they're fourteen one. So why is anybody worried about the Chiefs? Well. They keep playing close games and barely beating teams you think they ought to blow out. They can't beat anybody by seven points. Not anymore. Early in the year, they were blowing teams out. They beat the lowly Falcons yesterday by three because the Falcons missed. What in the NFL is essentially a chip shot field goal? Anything inside of 40 yards. And the Falcons went right down the field against the Kansas City defense. On the next to last possession, they scored the go-ahead touchdown. Kansas City goes and answers, but leaves a minute 55 on the clock, and the Falcons go right down the field, get down to the 21-yard line, and are lined up for a 38-39-yard field goal. And inexplicably, that thing just veers right, and they escape. Now, for the Chiefs, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> they won this week by three, they won last week by three, they won before that, they beat the Dolphins by six, before that, they beat the Broncos by six, before that, they beat the Bucks by three, before that, they beat the Raiders by four, before that, they beat the Panthers, who suck, by two. That is seven straight wins, and the big one is a six-pointer over the Broncos and another six-pointer over the Dolphins. Now, they're winning, but my gosh, who plays games that close every week? Can't you win a game by 10 at some point against somebody like, you know... The Falcons—they never even led by ten in this game. I mean, it was—it was ridiculously close. But nonetheless, the Chiefs are the one seed, and despite all these issues and all these close games, I'd feel like a fool if I picked against them. I think they're the favorite, you know. And it's all on paper, and you know, stuff happens. But they're loaded. I mean, that team is just loaded with talent. And they're 14-1, so don't bet against them. But holy cow, look at all these close games. I mean, the Panthers are bad. The Broncos are bad. The Falcons are bad. But they're winning, you know, and the NFL is set up to have a bunch of close games. But you'd think once in a while. Uh, they're the one seed. Now, who will be the two seed is a great question. Pittsburgh or Buffalo? Uh, Buffalo plays New England tonight. You would think they win that, in which case that would tie them with Pittsburgh at 12-3. and Buffalo has a tiebreaker because... Uh, They won when the two teams played. They won the head-to-head game a couple weeks ago. Bills are closing out with the Dolphins at home. That could be tough. Dolphins still have a shot at the playoffs. They're not in yet, but it all comes down to Week 17 for Miami. Um, And Pittsburgh's got the same deal. They're at Cleveland, and for Cleveland, it's all coming down to Week 17. So they're going to play motivated teams, and they're motivated to get the two seed because I don't know that there's a big difference between six and seven. It's probably more matchups than seeding. But... If they both win in advance, playing each other, you know you'd probably rather be at home, even with limited fans. You'd rather be at home. Uh, the four seed, so the four seed then goes to the AFC South champ. Uh, that probably will be Tennessee, but it still could be the Colts. Um, Tennessee just got blown out by Green Bay, blown out. But the Colts just blew it against Pittsburgh. I mean, they're up twenty-four-seven in the third quarter, and they're cruising, and they get a goal line stand. And they can't get a first down. And Pittsburgh gets the ball back with a short field off to the punt. And they score in three straight possessions and come from 24-7 down to 28-24. Now, despite that, the Titans are 10-5. and And if they beat the Houston Texans, who are done, um, then they're the division champs. Uh, so they got that going for them. And, and the Colts could lose next week, too. So that's, that's another possibility. Uh, the wild cards in the AFC. Uh, Miami is a wild card. Uh, if they beat the Bills. What an escape by them beating the Raiders. And I don't know, I mean, man, feeling like I got a hot hand over here on the bench of going to the relief pitcher and switching quarterbacks. It's not the way things are supposed to work in the NFL. But Fitzpatrick comes in and gives them a spark, and they score, and, and then, man, the Raiders, John Gruden outsmarting himself. I guess he figures they're not going to blow the coverage downfield while they uh, grab the quarterback's face mask. Well, he was wrong. Because <laughs> Josh Jacobs went down at the one-yard line like he was told to. It's not on the player. It's on the coaching staff. It's on the head coach. Uh, he could have scored the touchdown. Go, They're up five. And then a field goal doesn't beat him. And they could have gone for two, which would have put them up seven. And they're probably not going for two, so it probably guarantee you overtime. Even if you give up a touchdown, which you probably aren't going to. So, they kicked a field goal and... <laughs> Fitzpatrick gets him swinging on his face mask, and while his head's getting cranked around, he throws a ball 40, yard, 34 yards down the sideline, and, and it's a, it's like a blip. It's up in the air forever. And I don't know what the Raider defensive backs are doing, but it's complete. And then the 15-yard penalty and the field goal, and they lose the game. Wow. Way to go, Raiders! But for Miami, awesome, and that keeps them alive and their uh, their uh, hopes in the uh, playoffs. The Ravens, I mean, they're pretty much set. Uh, they smoked the Giants. That game was never in doubt. It wasn't even as close as the final score, and the final score is twenty-seven to thirteen. That's what I'm talking about. Why can't KC win a game twenty-seven to thirteen? Seems like a red flag. Anyway, the Ravens have now won four in a row, and if they beat the Bengals next week, they're in the playoffs. Uh, the Browns, man, the Browns hit with COVID, losing a couple linemen, a couple linebackers, four receivers, including their top two receivers. That was a very depleted team, whether it was positive tests, protocols, mix of the two, a depleted team, and they still should have beaten the Jets. And I still thought they were going to pull it off. I mean, they're they're getting blown out. They're down like 20 to three in the third quarter. They get it to 23-16, and you fumble on a quarterback sneak? On fourth and one at the Jets' 15, going in for the tying touchdown. Horrible loss for Cleveland. Now they're not out. Now they have to beat the Steelers next week or get help. Uh, But if they lose and the Colts win, uh uh-oh. The Colts are the team on the outside looking in in the AFC. The AFC is going to have a 10-win team miss the playoffs, and they might have an 11-win team miss the playoffs, with the playoffs being expanded and seven teams getting in. Colts just with that total collapse against... uh, the Steelers now they've got to win uh, next week. Well, good news for them they're playing Jacksonville. Although Jacksonville has nothing to lose for and nothing to play for, they've got the worst record in the NFL with the with the Jets win. Now the Colts um, are playing a Jaguars team that is going to draft number one. Even if they win, if they win because of their strength of their schedule, they'll get the one pick. So. I think uh, Lawrence is headed for Jacksonville. I don't know. Maybe they'll trade the pick, but he seems like the presumptive number one. Uh, the deal over in the NFC, uh, not clear cut at all. Green Bay, blowout win. Man, they're up 19-0 and just cruising on the Titans. Titans score right before halftime. And then every announcer says, "Will they get the ball first to start the third quarter. And sure enough, it works for the Titans. They score with 30 seconds left in the half. They go down and score to open the third quarter. It's 19-14. We got a game. No, we don't. Packers score the next three touchdowns and blow them out forty to fourteen. Nothing to it, and they're and they're putting they're putting Aaron Rodgers' stats up on the screen. And you're like, wow, that touchdown interception ratio seventy percent completions, like what nine or ten touchdowns for every uh, interception. I mean, he's just lights out. Jordan loves really made him a better quarterback. Uh, Green Bay's at Chicago, and the Bears need a win to get into the playoffs. They might be able to back in, but they certainly uh, are in if they win. But Green Bay needs a win to get the one seed. If not, the Saints and the Seahawks are both uh, poised to pounce. Saints are at Carolina, so you got to figure they're going to win. Seattle's at the 49ers. You know, they should win, but every the Seahawks are a little bit like the KC in that everything's a struggle. Now, having said that, they did win twenty 29 yesterday, so they won by more than the score. But, you know, they're up by four with, I don't know, what, three or four minutes left? And they got a third and five at the fifteen or twenty fifteen yard line, and throw a touchdown pass, and that seals the game with the Rams and wins in the division. They're in. Saints won their division too. Uh, Washington will win the East if they win next week. They got to beat the Eagles, who've been eliminated. Um, Washington didn't have Alex Smith when they don't have Alex Smith, they're a mess. They're two and seven when he doesn't start. They're four and two when he does start. You know, Alex Smith hasn't been to a Super Bowl. I don't think he's going to a Super Bowl. It's miraculous that he's playing. It's an incredible comeback. He's obviously the comeback player of the year. He's got to be the comeback player of the year. Um, and if he plays, I think they'll win the game and win the division. But if not, if they lose to Philly, well, then whoever wins the Giants game with the Cowboys will win the division. So uh, that's what that comes down to. Tampa Bay's in is a wild card. They're playing the Falcons next week and can clinch the five seed, which means they'll go on the road to face the NFC's champ, whoever that is, whether it's to New York or Dallas or Washington. Uh, the Rams, who just could not put the ball in the end zone against Seattle, three field goals from Matt Gay, the former Ute, uh, they're 9-6. and six, And so if they win next week against the Cardinals, they're in the playoffs. If they lose, they still get in if the Bears lose. So they got that going for them. Um, but if they lose and the Chicago Bears upset Green Bay, then the Rams are out. So the Rams ought to be in. You never know. Uh, the Bears are playing the Packers, and they need a win or a Cardinals loss, and then they're in. That's it. So there you go. That's the playoff picture in the NFL, and uh, some entertaining games this weekend, and interesting game tonight with the Bills. Figure they'll beat the Patriots, um, guaranteed. Everybody Pittsburgh is watching that, though. See if Pittsburgh can get the two seed instead. All right, DJ and PK. We'll take a break. When we come back, the Jazz. What in the world? Two completely different teams. A brilliant opener and a disastrous second game. So high and then so low, it doesn't make any sense. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.
1: Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app from 975-1280 the Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
0: Good morning. It's DJ and PK, it's 975 and 1280 the Zone. Well, as promised, it's time to spend a few minutes on your Utah Jazz. Uh, when I was growing up in San Diego, there's a sportscaster named Ted Leitner. He still does Padre games, and every once in a while, yak will play him when there's some Padre highlight or something in uh, what is trending. But... Um, he was, uh, he, he always did Padre games and Charger games and Aztec games. Um, the station he worked at, they had a radio and they had TV, so they had access to all these properties. He did all this stuff. But he really made his mark first as a TV sportscaster. And now there's tickers and everybody's getting the score on their phone. But believe it or not, there was a time when they used to put up full screen graphics of all the scores. All the baseball scores, both leagues. And whenever the Padre thing went up, it was always your Padres if they lost. And it was my Padres if they won. That was one of his little shticky things he did. So let me just say, they're your Jazz after Game 2, okay? They were my Jazz after Game 1. They are your Jazz after Game 2. If they play well tonight and beat Oklahoma City, they'll be my Jazz again. But Game 2, that sucked. Now, we're always told, as sports fans... Don't get too high, don't get too low, right? Uh, Aaron Rodgers famously told all the Packer fans, relax, because they were 0-2. And, of course, you know, the Packers spent the last quarter century, actually going on 30 years, thinking, hey, at minimum, we're a Super Bowl contender. At minimum, right? That's their low. That's their low level. I mean, they're not always that, but that's how they view themselves. So you hear this, don't get too high, don't get too low. But watch the first two Jazz games and tell me if you have a pulse that you were any other way. They looked great in Portland. Fantastic. Incredible. Amazing. They blew Portland off the floor early. Jump on them early. Great thing for the ex-athlete to say in the pregame show. Jump on them early. Take away their hope. Which, by the way, coaches say in the locker room. And and the Jazz did it. They came out, and they were... I guess Portland probably had about six minutes at the start of that game where they looked good. In the middle of the first quarter, the Jazz took over, and that was that. Man, they shot the three. They spaced the floor. Portland was on roller skates trying to catch up, and they couldn't. Now, you come back the night after Christmas, and really it was set up for the Jazz. And they got drilled. And they were down by 15 at halftime. Uh, they never retook the lead in the second half. They got close. They got a one-possession game. They took a five-second call at the end. Everything went wrong. They missed shots. They had a ton of turnovers. They were lethargic as all get-out in the first half. I thought the first spark they showed was Conley early in the third quarter. I thought he gave a little bit of zip. And then late in the third quarter, after Minnesota beat him up for four or five minutes in the middle of the quarter, Um I thought Donovan Mitchell changed his mindset. He was two for nine for three from the game. He was struggling to score and he started going to the hoop. And sometimes he scored and sometimes he got fouled. And when he didn't get fouled and he didn't score, he at least beat his man and drew the shot blocker, which meant Rudy just came swooping in with no one to block him out. And he's just, you know, grabbing the rebound, throwing around dunks, swinging on the rim, having a good old time, energizing the 1,500 people or so that were there. More importantly, energizing his teammates. And. You know why that didn't happen earlier? No, I have no idea. Why did they have so many turnovers? They had six guys who had multiple turnovers. I mean, that's just—it's just way too many. You know, Derek Favors in 18 minutes had two turnovers. That—that that should not be happening. They had uh, 18 turnovers between the six guys. Just—just um, just way too many, and everybody guilty. And as Locke likes to say, not all—not all turnovers are created equal. You know, when they're turning the ball over above the free throw line or even worse, above the top of the key, there's no chance for the defense to get back. That's that's a run out. That's a one-on-none fast break. That's a layup or a dunk every time. And it happened both the first day and second quarter where the Jazz had the ball um, beyond the top of the key, uh Beyond the three point line, out near half court, and they turned it over. And at both times, the ball was just kind of thrown to nobody and telegraphed. And it was, there it goes the other way. I think the first time it was Donovan, and the second time it was Joe. And it may not be on Donovan and Joe, because I know sometimes there's somebody who's supposed to come and meet the ball and they don't or whatever. But the turnover usually goes to the guy who throws the pass. But, But whatever, it's just too many fast breaks. It's just too many turnovers. And there's just this lethargy. And it just, I think it's a jazz fan that drives you nuts. You know, if you're into this, you know. There's home games and there are road games, right? And there's the top half of the league and the bottom half of the league. When you get a home game against somebody who's supposed to be in the bottom half of the league, that's as easy as it gets. And there's no back-to-back. They had two days off and they were at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves team. That I, I know they're 2-1. and one. They 2-0 and oh when they beat the Jazz and they got they got drilled by the Lakers because I don't have Carl Anthony Towns. He hurt his wrist in that game. <clears throat> finished the, the game with the Jazz but then couldn't go. Uh, and, and didn't play against the Lakers Sunday as they got blown out. So this really had two and O written all over it. You know, and you know the West is gonna be really close, and you know a handful of these games are gonna be the difference between being the two or three seed and being the five or six seed. And the Jazz have been the five or six seed four years in a row. You haven't had home court advantage since you go back to uh, Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer. The Jazz, I'm shaking my head. That's not good radio, is it? Uh, The the Jazz have got to take care of these games so they get a better seat, get an easier first-round opponent, and maybe you're still able to win the second round. Maybe that's where you grind out and gut out a series like like Denver did last year with the Clippers. You know, they're certainly the underdog, and they were able to grind out a a series, down 3-1, come back and win it, and get to a conference final. Get a lot of playoff experience, get a lot of confidence, and you just – And they still could do it, and it's just one game, and I know. But, you know, that's the roller coaster we ride. They looked so good against Portland, so sharp. They had four, what, four or five guys. Just lights out from three. It, It was great. And you're thinking, and maybe that's the problem. Really, maybe at the essence of it, that that was too easy, and there was a piece of the jazz, a part of the jazz psychology that just said, hey, it's the Wolves at home. We got this. And the Wolves hit a few shots. Now they're feeling good. You turn it over, you give them a few more points. And next thing you know, you're fighting uphill. So it'll be interesting to see what they do against the Thunder night. The Thunder in a rebuild, and they've got some nice players, but they, they seem young, and I'm not sure. they got all the pieces there, and they got a new coach, and it just seems like they need some time to get themselves together. Now they got a gazillion draft picks stacked up, but the draft picks can't beat the Jazz tonight. They haven't been drafted yet. So you'd think, you'd think... The Jazz could get that tonight, um, but figuring all this stuff out and just figuring this Jekyll and Hyde in and the first two games—and I know it's the holidays—but you know, there's fewer parties and fewer family parties, so you probably have more time to watch it. But I don't know—you got some family traditional movie you got to throw in and watch with your kids or whatever. And you don't see it, man. If you didn't see these two games, it was like it wasn't even the same same team. If, if the names on the jerseys and the faces hadn't been there, you would you would have sworn they were different teams. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, the Jets, I would think, a win tonight, and then they got the Suns on New Year's Eve, and then the Clippers on New Year's night. And, you know, that really, uh, to me, after they won in Portland, screamed, hey, that'd be 4-0. And then they messed up the very next game. So that's what you get for taking them, or that's what I get for taking them three games at a time right there. And who knows? You know, the Clipper game looks hard on paper, but maybe it won't be. All of this is on paper because the Clippers certainly got it handed to them. Handed to them in a way no one ever has by the Dallas Mavericks, down 50 at halftime. And I know Kawhi Leonard didn't play. He had stitches in his mouth. He got hit by Serge Ibaka, and he had like eight stitches. They had him sit out a game. But 50, 70-27, I thought it was out of control when I saw a score on Twitter. It was 56-16. It turned out it got more out of control. And then they sit Paul George down at halftime, and they go on a 10-0 run. I don't know about the chemistry there. I know on paper that looks like a good team. And Kawhi Leonard's won two titles with two teams, so who's to say he won't win a third title with the Clippers? But maybe, you know, the Clipper curse is just too much. It's a weird thing being the second team in L.A. I mean, really, what's the point? I guess, you know, the Angels have made money and won a World Series. And, of course, they came in as an expansion team. They weren't ripped off the way the, the Chargers were and the way the, uh, the Clippers were and the way the Rams have been. Although they were stolen back because they were stolen originally. Well, of course, they came from Cleveland before that, so who knows? A bunch of nomads. Anyway, uh... We'll, uh, we'll see what the Jazz do tonight. Right now, let's get to the best of the postgame show. We do this for you every morning after games. We've been doing it for years. We're going to do it again this year. Uh, Saturday night, the Jazz lose to the Timberwolves, 116-111. Here are the guys with the best of the post game show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
2: It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Minnesota Timberwolves beat the Utah Jazz on Saturday night, 116-111. to Tough night for the Jazz shooting, 38 point. from the field 36 of 94 they were only 10 of 34 from 3 29.4% also had trouble turning the ball over with 18 total turnovers the Jazz were led by Jordan Clarkson who had 23 Donovan Mitchell added 21 although took him 23 shots to get there 6 of 23 from the field Mike Conley added 20 Rudy Gobert had 18 and Joe Ingles had 10 coming in off the bench but for the Minnesota Timberwolves D'Angelo Russell 9 of 21 he had 25 points uh to lead the way for the Timberwolves. Malik Beasley added 18. Rookie number 1 pick Anthony Edwards at 18 points coming in off the bench. Looked really good doing it. Carl Anthony Towns, uh, 6 of 19, had uh, 16 points in 30 minutes of play. Let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz Head Coach Quinn Snyder.
3: We'll get started. Uh, first question will come from Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune.
4: Let, let me just begin real quick, Maddie, before Andy's question, just by saying, you know... Um, Minnesota was the more aggressive team. Um, You know, I I thought in the first half, um, they just, they ran, they defended um, and we didn't do either of those things. And that's why we gave up, you know, a 68 point quarter. Our offense hurt our defense um, and they played in the full court. And, And that's, we've been defending and we've been running and if we don't do those two things, um, it makes for a long night for us. It makes things very much uphill. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, when when the team defends, uh, when Minnesota defends with that level
3: of ball pressure and perimeter pressure, what's kind of the counter that you guys want to see from from your team in order to maybe try to get something inside?
4: Yeah, I mean, as far as getting in the, I mean, you you said it. As far as getting something inside, you, you we've got to be able to attack the rim. And, you know, that can happen, you know, it's harder to do that when you're taking the ball out of the net. So, you know, in the half court, you know, I have an expression, you have to, you have to run your offense through their defense. You know, it requires playing with more force than we did, um, you know, being more precise than we were. Um, and those things that, that results in 12 turnovers Um you know, in, in, in the first half. So, you know, even if you're playing against the half court, being able to initiate possessions with force to alleviate some of that ball pressure. And then you have to make quick decisions. You know, when the ball stops, it just allows them to get into you even more. So um, it, it turns into very fundamental things when a team's being that aggressive on the ball. And we just have to be tougher both mentally and physically in those situations to execute.
2: All right, next up, Tony Jones, The Athletic. Coach, when a team
5: is bumping you, kind of playing you off your – being physical with you in in, in the half court and not allowing you to get into your sets, what's the the adjustment for that,
4: uh, especially for the ball handlers? Well, they weren't necessarily taking us out of of things as much as we, we weren't attacking. You know and I, I think it's that simple when someone's aggressive like that you have an opportunity and you know again yeah, I it's what I said before you know running your offense through their defense. And you know when you do have opportunities when you get stops, you know that allows you to, to play more downhill. Um and we we weren't we weren't doing that either. They were they were running, running it running at us and we were taken out of the net. Um you know and that execution at the beginning of a possession whether it's You know, if you're getting pressured like that, you you know, and you saw us do a better job of that in the second half, but, you know, too little, too late on that front, Um, being able to attack. We have guys that can attack in those situations. And sometimes, you know, you do that. When we did attack, I didn't think we were strong enough with the ball. Um, And that's where some of the turnovers came.
2: Here's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. His team loses 116 to 111 to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Credited the way that uh, Minnesota played defense, and they certainly were aggressive and uh, played a little bit harder on, uh, on Saturday night than did the Utah Jazz. Let's get you some uh, some postgame sound from the players. Start things off with Donovan Mitchell.
3: Uh, first question, Kristen Kinney, Jazz TV. Hey, Don, you guys uh, struggled to put together a run in a solid stretch uh, against Minnesota. What were you seeing from them tonight, in particular defensively?
6: Uh, they were just a more aggressive team. Uh, they took right. us out of our actions. And, um, you know, we just got to execute. We got to think. We got to continue playing with pace. Uh, we didn't play like we played against Portland. Um, and credit to them for, for coming out with that intensity. We just got to be able to, uh, you know, kind of counter that, you know, use their aggression against them. But we, we weren't ready for their pressure. Um, and then we showed it in the second half, and you know, we came back, obviously. But it's tough to come back from a 17-point deficit, um, and especially when they're out there feeling confident, feeling good.
3: All right, next up, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune.
7: Don, sorry, we were having audio issues. We couldn't really hear what you said, so I apologize if you kind of answered this already. But um, what kind of was the issue in terms of you guys being able to attack their physicality in terms of you guys not really getting downhill and attacking the rim
6: until kind of late in the third quarter? Yeah, um, they took us out of a lot of our actions. I think that's what, um, you know, changed everything. I think them just we just got to withstand that. We got to be able to find ways to use that against them, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and, you know, I give, like I said, give credit to them for coming out, you know, and and, and being the aggressor. Um, and if we waited too long, you know, it's like I said, it's tough to come back from a 17-point uh, deficit, you know, especially when they're consistently pushing the ball and, and, and all that. So, you know, for, for us, just continuing to find ways to you know, improve and this is something that we, we shouldn't have let happen. Um but now we gotta figure out how we how how to um how do we counter to that, you know, because it's it's happened before, so we I just gotta go out there and, and, and compete and you know be able to think while they while playing through the physicality, even when we're not getting calls or anything like that.
3: All right, last question. Nicole from Tap de Portes in Puerto Rico. How you doing, Owen? How you doing? Hi, I'm Fang. What's mean for you facing Ricky Rubio, a former teammate, as we see a friend? Also, how you feel playing from fans for the first time?
6: Um, you know, I love, I love Ricky, man. You know, he's a guy that's had a major impact on my career. Um, so I, I, I love him, man. He's, he's been really helpful with a lot of the development, you know, thinking, you know, uh, thinking the game, you know, just watching him, just being around him. And then he's just a charismatic person. He's even better person than he is a teammate. Um, and, you know, I, I, obviously we all miss him here. He, he's, he's definitely beloved between the, the locker room and the fans and the coaches. Um, and it's good to see him out there doing well uh, in, in Minnesota. And um, so I was the second part of oh, the fans. Um, it was good it was good to be back in, in Vivian playing in front of the home crowd, you know, even though it was things like 20, 25% capacity. You know, it got loud. It, it got got noisy like it always does. And, you know, it was good to, to complay, play and compete. Um, in front of the home crowd
2: there you go that's Donovan Mitchell in 37 minutes he was 6-23 of had 21 points out of 5 assists and uh, 3 steals as well let's now let's hear from Rudy Gobert
3: All right. first question will come from Kristen Kinney Jazz TV hey Rudy when a team takes you out of your actions uh, like they did tonight how do you guys counter that
8: I think we just got to come out with uh, a little more aggression, a little more urgency, uh, defensively and offensively. And uh, no matter what they try to do, uh, it won't matter.
3: All right. Uh, next up, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune.
7: Rudy, why do you think it was both Quinn and Donovan said that it took way too long in the game for you guys to really kind of start attacking the rim and getting downhill and, and turning up the defense pressure? Why do you think it took that long and what turned things around?
8: I think they came out with a little more physicality that, than we did. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the they got good good players. They, they, they got going, uh, the young guys. Uh, made some shots, got confidence, and uh, we turned the ball over way too much. You know, we gave them, we just gave them too much confidence. And uh, if you want to be the team that we want to be, we got to start every single game with the same mindset. Doesn't matter who we play, we gotta, we gotta compete with ourselves, you know, and just come out and do what we do uh, at our best, especially defensively.
3: All right, Sarah Talk, Deseret News. Rudy, you said that you have to play every team uh, no matter how it is with the same mindset. Do you think that maybe you underestimated the Timberwolves a little bit?
8: I don't think so. You know, I, I just think, you know, obviously, uh, every, every night is different. Uh, we, we played, uh, the first game was important. We knew that uh, we had to really come out locked in. And, uh, and tonight, maybe we felt like we didn't have to come out Uh, as physical as locked in and uh, we felt that and we had many of those games last year and it's good that we have one now because i feel like we're gonna we're gonna realize that we need to you know come out with the same intensity same urgency the games when we don't have the legs we gotta have the mind and uh we gotta be tough mentally and tonight we it took, us a half, it took us a half to to start to attack, to start taking care of the ball and uh, and just to be a little stronger. And once we did that, everything became much easier. It, it was just a few minutes too late.
3: All right, we have time for one more question. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. I mean, defensively, was it just the effort or is there something else that you guys were missing scheme-wise? I mean, 68 points in the first half is, is a lot of points.
8: <laughs> It is. It is, and it's. It's not the team we want to be. I don't know how many points they score on uh, for turnovers or, or fast break, but. Uh... I think there was probably uh, at least twenty uh, in the first half, and if we clean that up, you know, it's probably uh, more opportunities for us, and uh, and at the same time, more opportunities for us to to run on them like we did in the in the second half.
2: There you go. That's Rudy Gobert. Uh, despite getting in some foul trouble in the first half, Rudy uh, played very well. 18 points, 17 rebounds. He was seven of ten shooting, uh, four of six uh, from the foul line, and really had that. T- tough matchup with uh, with Carl Anthony Towns. All right, let's now wrap things up with player sound. Uh, let's hear from Mike Conley.
3: Go ahead and uh, start off with Kristen Kenney, Jazz TV. Hey Mike, Rudy was just saying the Timberwolves were the aggressor, but it was good for you guys to have one of these games. Uh, what do you think about that and, and why, if that's true?
5: Um. You know, obviously, I think we would much rather come out with the W and not have to learn our lessons this way, uh, in this fashion. But uh, we got to understand that, you know, teams are going to come out and give us their best shot night in and night out, and uh, and we can't take that for granted. We have to come with a better sense of urgency from the tip. You know, they came out with, with great energy on both ends of the floor. Um, the the talk and the chatter and the communication they had was on another level than than what we were in the first half. So, um, we have have to be better than that. And I think we will. And uh, we'll learn from it.
3: Uh, Next question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune.
7: Mike, there were roughly 1,800 fans in the building tonight, just wondering what it was like playing in front of uh, fans for, you know, or that many fans anyway for the first time since uh, last March?
5: Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was a breath of fresh air for all of us just to, just to hear um, the fans. And it, it sounded like there was a lot more uh, than that number you just stated. So um, it was great to have them in the building. Um, it's great to have our families in the building. I mean, it was just a great atmosphere, as, as it always is, on the best in the league. And i um, looking forward to many more games like that.
3: Uh, all right, Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Mike, do you think that um, the uh, – sorry, there's like a ton of feedback. <laughs> do you think that you guys might have underestimated the Timberwolves a little bit and maybe played down to start the game?
5: Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it was, uh, that was the case. I think um, you got to give them credit. For the way that they came out and approached the game from the beginning, anytime we match up, uh, you know, with a team that's that's got a, a, a guard like Russell, a big that can shoot uh, five five out spacing, um, it's a different challenge for us. And uh, and and we've had some success, and we've had some some times where we didn't do so well, and uh, and we learn from those times we don't do so well. So um, we definitely didn't take them for 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 granted. We knew that they they're capable of coming out and and being a team that can they can come out and do this. Um, and a lot of the guys, you know, made plays when they needed to and um, just outworked us in a lot of different facets of the game.
3: All right. And we have one last question. the a follow-up from Eric Walden.
5: Mike,
7: can you just kind of take us through that last offensive play? I think there were 4.2 seconds to play. You guys potentially had this to stay the game and Looked like maybe Jordan slipped and and that kind of mucked everything up. Can you just tell us what happened on that play from your perspective.
5: Yeah, um, I couldn't really tell what happened with Jordan, but I I felt I felt that uh, I don't know if he was trying to get fouled or he got fouled or whatever. But um, when I saw that he was on the ground, you know, it kind of. It, the timing of it kind of got thrown off a little bit. Um, they did a good job switching. Uh, obviously, we were trying to get Donovan open, and uh, once they took that away, I think JC would have been open as well. It was just we, we, you know, we started a little bit too slow uh, to get get the ball in bounds in time. So um, we've, we've gone over that play a lot in practice and uh, it's had a lot of success. So um, just better execution on our part at the end, and, and, and you know, who knows what happened.
2: There you go, that's Mike Conley, 20 points, 6 of 13 shooting out of 4 assists and 6 rebounds as well, but the Jazz come up short against Minnesota in their home opener, 116 to 111. Coming up next, DJ and PK will continue to break this one down. Don't forget, tonight the Jazz take on Oklahoma City. That game will tip off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5.
0: There is the best of the post-game show, and when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. NFL playoff picture with one week to go. There's some high-stakes games coming up next week. We'll get to that, more on the Lakers' big win, the Clippers' hideous loss, the Jazz. It's all coming up. What is trending on the way?
2: Right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.